Hello and welcome to this Monday edition of Back to the Bible as we count down the days to Christmas. In fact, next week, Monday, exactly one week from today, will be Christmas Day. Now, I know that a lot of people have varying feelings about Christmas. Some are excited, some not so happy. Well, whatever your thoughts, this week we will be hearing from Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll on how to have the best Christmas ever. Dr. Kroll, uh, can you tell us some more about what we can expect as we look towards Christmas this year? Nigel, you know, for a lot of people, the Christmas is a real downer. We want you to know that today on Back to the Bible, in fact, all this week, we're going to talk about how to have the best Christmas ever. All right, so where do we start? I'll always start with attitudes. Attitudes toward what the Christmas season means, very important. That means we have to get into God's Word. We need the attitude of getting our hearts ready for Christmas. You know, we're rushing around doing a lot of other things. We get our hearts ready, and then the attitude of humility, because the Christmas story is all about a baby in a manger in a little tiny town. So, we're not just talking about gifts and party celebrations and things like that. No, not at all. And those things are part of it, of course. But the most important thing about Christmas is to learn what the meaning of Christmas is. And there's only one place to do that, and that is your Bible. So let me encourage you to get your Bible right now if you can. Turn with us to Luke chapter 2, because today on Back to the Bible, we're going to talk about how to have the best Christmas ever. Sounds great. Well, before we get into today's study... Just to let you know that our 2024 calendar is now once again available in Mandeville at Forever Young, located in the Manchester Shopping Centre, for your contribution of $700 each. Now let's join Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll in the Gospel of Luke, Chapter 2, as we head into today's study. What we want to do is go back today to Luke chapter 2, which is the story of the Savior's birth. And from Luke chapter 2, we want to find out how to have the best Christmas ever. Here's my thought. You will have a better Christmas this year if your Christmas this year is less like your Christmas last year and more like the first Christmas in Luke chapter 2. Now, as I said earlier, if you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're going to read the Christmas story. We're going to read it today. In fact, we're going to read it tomorrow. We're going to read it Wednesday. We're going to read it every day this week because that's where the joy of Christmas comes from. Luke chapter 2, let me begin right at verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed or registered for taxation. This census first took place when Quirinius was governor of Syria. So all the world went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now, there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. 
For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, there's more to the Christmas story, but let's stop there for now. What I want you to see is, if you go back to this story, you will find in this story all the missing elements of most of our Christmases today. Uh, Christmas is a downer for a lot of people. Many people are alone during Christmas, and as a result of that, uh, they don't look forward to the Christmas season, and maybe you're in that group. But I want you to know that if you go to this story daily, if you spend your time in this story, and if you do the things that happen in this story, you will have the same kind of joy that they had this very first Christmas. Now, let's find out what we have to do. During the course of this week, we're going to talk about ten different things you can do to have the best Christmas ever. We'll look at number one right now, and that is this. You need to begin by preparing for Christmas. Begin with preparation. And you say, don't need to tell me that. I've been preparing for Christmas. I've been buying things for a month. I'm not talking about buying things. I'm talking about preparing your attitude, preparing your heart, preparing your mind with this story. Because when you look at this story, you're going to see the characters in this story that kind of just float right by us. You know, I mean, Caesar Augustus, Quirinius was governor of Syria. Who cares? Well, you should care, because all of these play a major role in the story of Christmas. So we want to prepare ourselves for Christmas by preparing ourselves by understanding the story. Okay, let's ask some questions then. Who is Caesar Augustus? I mean, that ought to be right on the top of our list. His name is actually Octavian. He is the great nephew of Julius Caesar. That means Julius' sister, Julia, is the grandmother of this man. So he's the great nephew of Julius Caesar, and he was the man who followed Caesar as the uh, head of Rome. When Octavian became the emperor of Rome, he went back to Rome, having defeated all of his enemies, and he said, you know what, I'm going to take a title. And everyone suggested the title Princeps. Princeps, I like that. Princeps, it's the principal citizen. That's what it means. Octavian says, yeah, that's okay, but I'd like something a little more like, oh, I don't know, Augustus, which means the revered one. So his name is actually Octavian, but it says he is Caesar Augustus. That's the man we're talking about, the grand nephew of Julius Caesar. So, he is the man who is in power in Rome during the time of the birth of the Lord Jesus. Notice also that Quirinius was the governor of Syria. Now, that's important because Quirinius was governor of Syria on two occasions. The second time was A.D. 6 through 10. Now, obviously, that's too late because that's after the birth of Jesus. Quirinius was also governor of Syria B.C. 4 to A.D. 1. And that's the time it's mentioned here. So now we're getting a little sense of who these people are. Caesar Augustus is in power. Quirinius is in power in the country. But these people are simply players on a stage. If you want to prepare yourself for Christmas, you need to understand why Christmas happened in the first place. And to do that, I've asked several of our discussion group here to be prepared to read some verses of Scripture for us. Because if we read the prophecies that lead up to Christmas, we will go a long way in preparing ourselves to understand Christmas. So let me encourage you each day to find a prophecy that relates to Christmas. Go to the Old Testament, find a prophecy, read the context of that prophecy, and you'll be preparing yourselves for Christmas.
Now, let me ask our uh, group here if they'd be willing to read some verses to us. Lisa is going to begin, and she's going to begin by reading that great prophecy found in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. The very fact that Mary was a virgin and gave birth to the Lord Jesus should not have been a surprise to anyone. Because Isaiah, 700 years before that, said that's exactly what would happen. Now, we didn't know it was Mary in those days, but we knew a virgin would conceive and bear a son. That's the prophecy of Isaiah. If you go back and spend some time with Isaiah, you'll be better prepared to spend some time with Mary and Joseph during the Christmas season. Meredith is going to read for us another prophecy out of Isaiah, and that's Isaiah chapter 9 at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now there's a prophecy we all identify with. It is obvious that this is talking about a very special person. But this very special person was mentioned 700 years before Jesus was born. You can have a better Christmas this year if you don't just step up to the plate Christmas morning and say, okay, let me find a Bible, and where's that story about the birth of Jesus again? See, if you prepare yourself for Christmas, you'll enjoy Christmas a lot more, and you need to do that by going back to some of these old prophecies. Nicole is going to read another prophecy out of Isaiah for us, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 10, a little less known than the other two. In that day, the root of Jesse who shall stand as a signal for the peoples. Of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. Now, it's obvious here that the root of Jesse is relating itself to this promise that he would be of the house and lineage of David. Jesse is the father of David. So what we've done here is we've prepared ourselves by going back to Old Testament prophecies and asking the question, how do these Old Testament prophecies relate to Christmas this year? And the answer is, Well, they relate to us because they tell us that Jesus is, in fact, the answer to all these Old Testament prophecies. One more. Gene, read for us that very important prophecy from Micah that tells us exactly where Jesus would be born. But you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. You and I we'll better appreciate Christmas if we don't rush into it the way we've done for many, many years. If we spend some time preparing ourselves, getting to know some of these prophecies. But there are other things you can do. I suggest you may want to choose to use an Advent calendar. An Advent calendar or something that relates to the Advent helps you count down the days till Christmas. That's a great way for you to get prepared yourself for Christmas and not let Christmas be a one-day event. Listen, the birth of the only Savior this world will ever have is way too important for you and me just to make it a one-day event. So uh, an Advent calendar, maybe begin singing Christmas carols. You know, you've heard them on the radio already. Uh, Begin to sing them yourself in your home, maybe at the evening table. Develop a theology of Christmas. Get to know why, theologically, Christmas is necessary. Now, Lisa's going to help us because she will read for us the very first time any promise of Christmas was ever made. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Lisa? I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Yeah, now that goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. That is the very first time a promise was given to us that there had to be a Savior because there is sin in the world today. Now, look. 
you and I will better appreciate Christmas if we make some preparation for it. Get in the spirit of Christmas by getting some biblical context for Christmas. Getting a, a context for why Jesus had to come. This is not all about shopping. It's not all about singing. It's not all about presents. It's all about a person. And we will better appreciate that person if we spend a little time getting ready for his coming. Well, that's one thing we can do. Uh, I'll be back in just a minute to talk about proceeding with humility. You know, it's one thing to prepare yourself. It's another thing to recognize that this Christmas event doesn't take place in a palace, doesn't take place in the White House, doesn't take place at number 10 Downing Street, doesn't take place anywhere except a stable in a tiny little town. We need to proceed with humility. I'll be back in just a minute to talk about that. This is a Back to the Bible, Bible teaching you can trust. You don't need to read the latest headlines. You already know the concerns our world has today. But if there were a headline topping all the other headlines, I think it would read something like this. We've lost our way. So where do we find it? Well, in the Bible, of course. And that's why here at Back to the Bible, we broadcast daily throughout the world to bring people to the Scriptures to understand God's absolute and eternal truths, to target youth and other audiences with daily Scripture readings. Hey, listen, it's working. Our efforts are being blessed. We're seeing results. We're seeing lives changed. People are finding the way to live. But we can only do it with your help. This ministry is listener-supported. That means we rely completely on your help. So if you've been impacted by Back to the Bible, please send a gift to help us remain effective for you and help millions around the world. Your donation, no matter how small, will go a far way in ensuring that we can continue to reach the world with the life-transforming power of God's Word on a daily basis. Donations can be made via online bank transfer or in-bank deposit. Our account is with the Halfway Tree branch of the Bank of Nova Scotia, account number 428310. That's account number 428310 at the Halfway Tree branch of Scotia Bank. Checks can be sent to us via mail to Back to the Bible, Box 123, Kingston 10, Jamaica. Please make checks payable to Back to the Bible. Of course, you can always come by our office in Hagley Park Plaza to drop off your donation or make your contribution via our point-of-sale machine. Now, as we get back to the Bible, here once again is Bible teacher Woodrow Kroll. How can we have the best Christmas ever? Well, we can have it by preparing for it, not just letting Christmas sneak up on us and saying, oh, here it is again, I ought to do something spiritual here for Christmas. No, spend some time, even this week, getting ready for Christmas next week. Now, I said you need to prepare for Christmas. Let me take you back to the text, though, Luke chapter 2. I want you to see that not only do we need to prepare for Christmas, understand the context in which Christmas occurs, I think we need to proceed to the Christmas season with a significant amount of humility. And here's why I say that. Look at Luke chapter 2, verse 11. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, 
who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now, there are basically three elements of the humility of the birth of the Lord Jesus that I see here. One of them is the fact there's no room for him in the inn. I mean, not only are they not home when Jesus is born, they couldn't be home because he had to be born in Bethlehem and Mary and Joseph lived in Nazareth. Not only are they not home, when they go to Bethlehem, there's no place for them to stay. No uh, Expedia.com or Hotels.com. No way for them to pre-order a place to stay. They just have to go to a conversary, and, and that's kind of a place where caravans stop, and you stay the night there. And these are usually interesting places. They're built around an open square, and there are four sides to them with one opening, and usually the bottom level is where the animals stay, so there are stables there. And then the people would go upstairs to the top level, and that's where they would sleep. And it was just like an inn. You go in, you pay your fee, they feed the donkey, they feed you, you have a place to stay. But there was no room in any of the inns of Bethlehem. So, number one, we see the humility of the birth of Jesus in the fact nobody was prepared for him. There's no fanfare, there's no pillow here for him to lay his head on. He's just born without a place to stay. And look at the second element of humility here. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes. You would anticipate one who was born to be king would be wrapped in royal garments. But just the ordinary strips of cloth. In fact, if you go to Bethlehem today, you will see Arab women in Bethlehem walking around, and they'll have these long strips of cloth often. And the reason they do that is this. Strips of cloth can be very useful, especially for a baby. Uh, You wrap the baby, that keeps the baby from flailing its arms, hurting itself. Often in these days, without the benefit of modern hospitals and without the benefit of modern antiseptics, they would rub salt on the baby. And that, well, it sounds awful to you and me, was a way of killing the bacteria. And in order to keep the baby and the salt on the baby, they'd wrap the baby in swaddling clothes. So swaddling clothes are not unusual. They're just not what you would anticipate for the birth of a king. Swaddling clothes were used for common people, but The humility of the birth of Jesus is seen not only in the fact that there's no room for them in the inn. It's also seen in the fact that he has to use the common garments of the birth of every other little baby. But then there's something very uncommon about this. And that's the third piece of humility. And that is, you find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Now I want you to think about this. I don't think the swaddling clothes was the sign of the birth of Jesus. Because every little child was wrapped in swaddling clothes. What is the sign of the birth of Jesus for these shepherds is the baby will be in a manger. Now, a manger was generally either a wooden box or most often a stone carved out so you could put grain in for cattle and oxen and others to feed. And to have the Lord Jesus in such a humble place was a very unique event. Generally, the baby would be taken away and be placed in the arms of a mother, placed in the arms of a grandmother, swaddling clothes and all. But in Jesus' case, they're in a place where, well, you don't want to be when you're giving birth to a baby. This is not exactly the most sanitary of conditions. We're talking about a barn. Now, there's a tradition that goes all the way back to uh, the second century 
that the place where Jesus was given birth was actually a cave. In fact, if you go back to some of the historical documents, uh, back to Justin Martyr, about A.D. Um, one. 14 to 155, somewhere in there. Justin Martyr wrote a book called The Dialogue with Trifo. And in that book, he makes reference to the fact Jesus was born in a cave. Others have expressed the same thing. Origen, in his Against Celsus, also makes reference to Jesus being born in a cave. So when Constantine, the great emperor who made Christianity a state religion, when Constantine's mother wanted to find a place to remember the birth of Jesus, she went to Bethlehem found a cave and said, build a church over this cave to remember the spot. That church is the church of the birth of Jesus today in the city of Bethlehem, the church of the nativity. Now, do we know that that cave is the place? No, we don't know that. But it really doesn't matter because what we do know is this. When you anticipate the birth of someone as special as Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah of Israel, The Savior of the world, you don't think it's going to happen, one, in Bethlehem. You don't think it's going to happen, two, in a barn. And three, you don't think he's going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes and put in a common manger, a place where you feed animals. All of this shows us the incredible humility of the birth of Jesus. And why? I'll tell you why. 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. We will appreciate Christmas much more this year if first we make some preparation for it, get a little understanding of the story. And secondly, we approach Christmas with the same attitude that Mary did and Joseph did and God did. Sure, Christmas is a wonderful time of year. It's a joyous time of year. But it's also a time to remember the humility of the Savior. And if your Christmas doesn't have that element of humility, you're going to rob yourself of some of the joy that could be yours this Christmas. You want to have the best Christmas ever? Go back to Luke chapter 2. Jot down all the things you see happening in Luke chapter 2 and do as many of those things as you can. You will have the best Christmas you've ever had. I'll be back in just a minute to wrap up our study for today. Thanks for joining us today here on Back to the Bible, brought to you by Back to the Bible Broadcast Jamaica, in a partnership with listeners who give in support of this ministry. Our office is located at shop number 22, Hagley Park Plaza, Kingston 10. Our office hours are from Mondays through to Fridays from 8.30 a.m. through to 4 p.m. We can be contacted via email at backtothebibleministry at gmail.com. Our office number is 876-926-5765 and our cell and WhatsApp number is 876-337-6295. To listen to this study again or some of our previous studies, they are available in our free mobile app 
along with other Bible engagement material. Just look for BTTB Jamaica in your app store. That's BTTB Jamaica. You can also listen and download our studies from other podcast platforms, including Podbean, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. Be sure to look for Back to the Bible Jamaica. Before we go, just a reminder that our 2024 calendar is available in Mandeville at Forever Young, located in the Manchester Shopping Centre, and of course also from our office here in Hagley Park Plaza, for your contribution of $700 each. Dr. Kroll, we are a week away from Christmas, and no doubt there's someone listening and, you know, they're thinking, well, I'm already right in the middle of total madness, and, and, and you're here saying we need to have an attitude change. And they're asking, like, how in the world can I do that now? Because I have this and that and the other, and the list just goes on and on. What, what, what do you say to them? Well, if you're in that situation, you've already made a major mistake. You've planned for everything other than the real meaning of Christmas. But it's not too late. I mean, Christmas is still a week away. You could say tomorrow, when I get up, before I have my coffee, or while I have my coffee, I'm going to go back and read this story. And I'm going to read it again the next day. I'm going to read it every day this week. We're going to do that here on the program every day this week. I think one of the things we have to do is just stop the craziness in the routine and say, I'm going to inject into that something that will help me understand the real meaning of Christmas. Well, we're off to a great start, getting our hearts and our attitudes adjusted. And tomorrow we're going to see that we don't want to keep that just to ourselves. No, we don't. Uh, Christmas is something ought to be shared with others. Uh, Not just the idea of Christmas, but the personal experience of Christmas. We want to share the understanding that Christmas is the most unique event of all time. We're going to do that right here tomorrow on Back to the Bible. Thanks to all of you for being a part of our group today and for you at home for joining us. I'll see you tomorrow. I'm Woodrow Kroll. Have a good and godly day.